Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for this incredible psalm. It prepares us for these times in life when waters roar, when things are out of control, in times of confusion and chaos. We can look to you. You are our refuge and strength. Encourage our hearts this morning, Lord, as we study your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 46, beginning in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake from its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. And you can be seated. You know, the innocent headwaters of the Chattooga River meander along for mile after mile. But near the end of the river, just before it plunges into Lake Tallulah, the waters turn violent. In the words of Psalm 46, the waters roar. If you're rafting this section, the river becomes a hairy rod full of violent sluices and keeper hydraulics. Over the years, dozens of boaters have died in these narrow, turbulent channels of the Chattooga. But I never thought I'd be one. Not until one particular trip. It happened at Seven Foot Falls, a rapid name for obvious reasons. Our boat got twisted in the entrance to the falls. It hit the ledge sideways. The back of the raft flipped into the air and catapulted me over the guys in the bow. I landed in the swirling water at the bottom of the falls. In retrospect, I was only underwater for just a few seconds. But trust me, it felt like an eternity. At first, the churning water just held me stationary. Finally, the hydraulic pushed me under and pushed me out at the bottom of the hole. I popped up 20 yards downstream, gasping for breath, but happy to be alive. You know, prior to that day, I had always thought that when it came my turn to die, I would face death full of courage, full of bravery and faith. But I got to admit, trapped in that whirling current, I met a dangerous enemy. I was gripped by a villain called fear. What about you? Have you ever been afraid? Several years ago, USA Today ran an article entitled, Fear, What Americans Are Afraid Of Today. Here are the conclusions. 54% of Americans fear being in a car crash. 53% fear having cancer. 
50% fear the survival of Social Security. 40% of Americans fear getting mugged in their own neighborhood. 36% fear getting food poisoning from tainted meat. 35% fear getting Alzheimer's. 33% fear being in the being the victim of a violent crime. 25% of Americans fear natural disasters. And 20% fear a random bombing. Folks today are surrounded by all kinds of fear. Consult the media, and here's what you'll hear. Food sprayed with pesticides will kill me. Be afraid. Unfiltered water from my faucet will kill me. Be afraid. Cholesterol will kill me. Be afraid. A lack of cholesterol will kill me. Be afraid. Fluorocarbons in the air will kill me. Be afraid. Overexposure to the sun will kill me. Be afraid. Cell phone transmissions will kill me. Be afraid. Radon gas from my basement will kill me. Be afraid. Saccharin in my coffee will kill me. Be afraid. Processed sugar in my coffee will kill me. Be afraid. Coffee will kill me. Be afraid. People today live in all kinds of fear. The late advice columnist Ann Landers received 10,000 letters a month, mostly from people with problems. And she said by far the number one problem people faced was fear. Everybody struggles with some kind of fear. And as if we didn't have enough potential fears in our lives, the last few days have added another. A highly contagious virus, COVID-19, now threatens our public health, even the lives of our elderly and vulnerable. That's why we're meeting online today. All of society is rightly concerned with limiting people's exposure. I saw a clever meme this week. The only folks with no need to fear the coronavirus are the church drummers. All of a sudden, our soundproof cage has some advantages. But you can be sure the writer of Psalm 46 was tempted with fear. Bible scholars suggest the psalm was written in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. In the 8th century B.C., the Assyrian Empire ruled the world. Assyria's king, Sennacherib, was ambitious and ruthless and bent on world domination. His mighty army had already conquered Syria and Israel, and his sights were now set on the land of the Pharaohs the land of Egypt. And yet in between Sennacherib's army and the riches of the Nile was the Jewish capital of Jerusalem. Understand what King Hezekiah was up against. The Assyrian army was probably 200,000 troops strong, and its soldiers were brutal and bloodthirsty. The Assyrians would impale their conquered foes. They would skin them alive like fish. They would cut off hands and nose and feet and ears, even pluck out their eyes and yank out their tongues. They would pile up skulls by the city gates just to inspire terror. Imagine trying to go to sleep one night knowing that the baddest of all bad guys were camped just outside your front yard, waiting for the light of day to attack your house and ravage your family. You can bet King Hezekiah was scared spitless. And yet the frightened king prayed. He asked God for help. And three times in Scripture, three times no less, just so we don't miss it, God documents his deliverance. 
2 Kings 19, 2 Chronicles 32, and Isaiah 37. In those chapters, we're told that in the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord came against the Assyrians. This angelic avenger drew his sword and he slew 185,000 Assyrian troops. By morning light, the remainder of the enemy army was in full retreat. It's then that someone, perhaps it was King Hezekiah, maybe it was the prophet Isaiah, but one of Jerusalem's survivors looked over the wall at the carnage and death and he marveled at God's miraculous deliverance. He took a pen and parchment and he wrote Psalm 46. Over the years, this psalm has comforted many a fearful Christian in time of trouble. It's been said, Psalm 46 assures us that God can handle in his will, in his own good time and way, things which seem like total disasters to us. In light of our current fearful pandemic, let's pay close attention to Psalm 46. You'll find that this psalm is divided into three stanzas. In verses 1 through 3, God is seen as a refuge. In verses 4 through 7, God is a river. And in verses 8 through 11, God is seen as the ruler. Each stanza ends with the term selah, which was a musical notation. It signaled an interlude, a bridge where the instruments continued to play while the previous thought was contemplated. It literally means to pause and think it over. This morning, we'll dispel our fears. We'll excite our faith if we push pause on all our other thoughts and think of God as a refuge and as a river and as the ruler. Well, verse 1 tells us, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The Hebrew word translated trouble means tight spot. Have you ever been in a tight spot? Options were limited. Time was running out. You felt pressured or squeezed. You were under the gun between a rock and a hard place, facing a no-win situation. Perhaps you're in a tight spot even today. Once there was a dad, he came home to find his usually busy household unusually quiet. He walked in and he noticed all five kids in the floor of the center of the living room. When he saw the objects that had their attention, he let out a shout. For there sat five cute, cuddly little skunks. Well, of course, when Dad shouted, it scared the kids. So each of the kids grabbed a skunk and ran off in a different corner of the house. This upset the dad even more, and so he shouted again which further frightened the kids, so much so that the scared kids squeezed their respective skunks. And we all know what happens when you squeeze a skunk. Life stinks. The psalmist had the same feelings this father did, and I did, when I was battling those raging rapids. At times, the circumstances of our lives swirl out of control. He describes his struggling in verses 2 and 3. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. At times, circumstances can overwhelm us. 
life spins beyond our control, our life becomes a real stinker. It's been said, and I like the quote, life is like fighting a gorilla. You don't rest when you get tired. You rest when the gorilla gets tired. The waters of life don't always flow gently. At times they roar with trouble, and all you can do is hang on. You know, when people tell me that they don't want to go whitewater rafting because they can't swim, I tell them it doesn't matter anyway. Because nobody swims in a raging river. You fall out of a boat into whitewater and all you can do is reach for a rope. Tumble into roaring waters and you're definitely in an out-of-control situation. This is how it is for a flood victim. Water starts seeping under the door. Quickly, you try to stuff towels across the threshold, but it's useless. You can't keep out the relentless intruder. Slowly, you watch the waters rising. They cover your carpets. They overtake your furniture. It's a horrible and helpless situation. I have a friend who didn't know that his downstairs toilet was actually the lowest toilet in his neighborhood until the day that his subdivision sewer system backed up. His toilet just kept pouring and pouring and dumping sewage into his house. There was nothing he could do to stop it. That's when life really stinks. This is also the helpless sensation that you, you get when you experience a hurric- an earthquake. Hurricanes too, but definitely an earthquake. Or as the psalmist puts it, The mountains shake with its swelling. There's nothing you can do when the ground begins to shake and tremble under your feet. You're at the earth's mercy. You see, there are times in all of our lives when when we feel like a whitewater swimmer or a flood victim or that the earth is shaking all around us and our reaction is to panic. It's a terribly hopeless feeling. The psalmist gives another illustration of an out-of-control circumstance. He says, even though the earth be removed. Here's an alternative translation. Earth can mean land. Be removed can be rendered to change hands. And thus, some Bible scholars interpret the phrase, when the land changes hands. Imagine an angry army, armed to the teeth, Storming your town, controlling your streets. Invaders now dictate when you and your neighbors can come and go. And there's nothing you can do about it. See, this was the scene facing the Jews in Jerusalem. Of course, you and I could add to the psalmist's list of -of out-of-control situations. When I lose my job, or when my toddler pitches a fit, or when a gossip is spreading lies about me, or when my teenager becomes rebellious. I don't like to compare roaring waters and earthquakes and military invasions to parenting teenagers, but there are some definite similarities. When kids become teens, now there's so much that's out of the parent's control. You lie in bed while your kids are out and your mind begins to race. Where are they? Who are they with? What are they doing? What if there's trouble? And you realize you're powerless at that moment to help. There's not a thing you can do. And this is what we're all fighting at this moment. We're under attack from a germ that we can't see coming. Oh, we're being smart to distance ourselves. But we feel helpless nonetheless, which can cause us to fear. 
when my life or when the people I love are out from under my control, I'm prone to fear. And fear can gain a stranglehold on our lives. It saps us of energy. It paralyzes our initiative. It stymies our vision. It even steals away our joy. Where do you run when the waters roar? Well, Psalm 46 provides us the answer. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. No matter how deep the waters get, God's feet still touch bottom. Even in raging water, his legs are strong enough to stand in the current and anchor my life. No matter how severe the storm, God can shelter me through it if I hold his hand, if I lean on him. God is a refuge. My daughter used to be a cheerleader, the best there ever was, in fact. I heard thousands of cheers and chants while she was growing up. Here's my favorite. And I've recruited the help of a couple of cheerleaders in training. Her two daughters, my granddaughters, now the cutest two girls in the world, along with my other granddaughters. Here it comes. Lightning can't rock this house and you can't rock this house and you. Can't rock this house. Rain can't rock this house. Thunder can't rock this house. Lightning can't rock this house. And you can't rock this house. And you can't rock this house. <laughs> I'm sure you think that's as cute as I do. Rain can't rock this house. Thunder can't rock this house. Lightning can't rock this house. And you can't rock this house. And this is what the psalmist is saying about God in verses 2 and 3. It doesn't matter how out of control life gets. Bring on the rain, the thunder, the lightning, the virus. It doesn't matter. God is our refuge and strength. God is what we need when and where we need him. But here's a vital point. God is our refuge in the storm not from the storm. Notice again verses 2 and 3. It's not if the earth is removed or if its waters roar. It's though the earth is removed, though the waters roar, though the mountains shake. See, there are two kinds of faith. Though faith and if faith. If faith says, God, I'll trust you if you bless me. I'll live for you if you solve my problems. I'll obey God if he makes my life easy. But that's not real faith. That kind of faith gets washed away in the storm. Real faith is though faith. God, I'll love you though the earth is removed. I'll serve you though my life is turned topsy-turvy. I'll trust you though I feel abandoned and forsaken. The psalmist knows that being a child of God doesn't insulate him from tight spots, but it makes him eligible for God's help and comfort in the midst of that stress. Remember, Christianity is not immunity from trouble, but community with God. Give your life to Jesus, and he comes on board with all his sustaining resources. I've learned when waters roar, you have a choice. You can focus inside or outside. Verse 4 says, There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. 
she shall not be moved. See, there was danger outside the city. But the psalmist focuses on who it was who abides inside the city. God is in the midst of her. I love what one author says about Jesus. We see him in the middle of the upper room after his resurrection. In the midst of the lampstands, walking among the churches in Revelation, he is always in the midst. He even says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. See, Jesus doesn't take us out of the mire of this life. He rolls up his sleeves and he jumps into the mess with us. He gets in the midst of what we're in the middle of. This was Jesus' approach in saving the world. God became a man. He got down on our level, tackled the same issues we face every day. Recall the name the angel gave to Joseph. Mary's baby would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Or as the psalmist here might say, God in our midst. Notice the contrast here in verse 4. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. In verse 3, the psalmist has talked about roaring waters. There was a rising flood of troubled waters threatening to drown the city of Jerusalem. But there was also a stream of encouragement and rejoicing that flowed into the city to refresh its inhabitants. There was actually a physical parallel to this imagery that the psalmist is painting. You see, before the reign of Hezekiah, Jerusalem's water supply was outside the city walls. The Gihon Spring bubbled up in the Kidron Valley just east of the city. It was in anticipation of this Assyrian invasion that King Hezekiah carved a tunnel 1,777 feet long, cut through solid rock. The tunnel channeled water into the city. Even today, the spring flows through the cutout rock channel. On our tours to Israel, one of the activities we like to do is hike through Hezekiah's tunnel. Well, the psalmist compares the river, this river reservoir to God. He's saying that in the midst of the storm that was brewing on the outside of his life, on the inside was a stream of vitality that flowed under the walls of his life. And God is that river. God is the artesian spring that bubbles up from the deepest part of my heart. I have a friend of mine named Kenny who's an expert fisherman. He has trophies of huge bass that he's plucked out of the lakes over at Stone Mountain Park. And I marvel whenever I see his catches because I could fish Stone Mountain Park from now until eternity and never get a nibble. I figured the fish over there were all state employees, always on vacation. But let me tell you Kenny's secret. He's got maps of the lake bottoms. You see, years ago, a river flowed around the mountain. Today's lakes were made by flooding out those riverbeds. But Kenny still knows where those subsurface rivers run and the underwater banks that draw those big bass. And he can send his lures to school right along those banks and catch his limit every time. He's a smart guy. But this is what the psalmist does when the floods come, when the troubles overwhelm him. He remembers that a river runs under the surface of his life, that the Holy Spirit lives within him and within us too. 
And the Holy Spirit brings us God's joy and love and peace and strength. The river brings us what we need. In his book, Reaching for the Invisible God, author Philip Yancey, he suggests that it would help our faith if we viewed God's intervention in our lives not so much as coming down from above, but as rising up from below. Yancey writes this, We tend to view God's interactions like light rays or hailstones or lightning bolts falling to the ground. Perhaps we would do better to picture God's interaction as an underground aquifer or river that rises to the surface in springs and fountainheads. See, the last stanza of Psalm 46 will describe how God comes down to intervene on behalf of his people and defend Jerusalem from her enemies. But never forget, prior to his deliverance from trouble, God rises among his people in the midst of that trouble. See, God is a river of refreshment. As Jesus promised us in John 7, verse 38, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And you and I have that river flowing under the walls of our lives. Once there was a man, he was wandering through the desert in search of water. The guy was dying of thirst when he encountered a merchant selling neckties. He's thinking, what do I need with a silly necktie? He continues to push on, crawling through the hot sands, desperate, dehydrated. He tops a hill, and he sees a restaurant down below. Wow, he's saved. He musters all his remaining energy, and he races down the hill. But when he reaches the front door of the restaurant, there's a huge sign that reads, Neckties Required. Sounds about the same in here right now than it does when there's people here. Nobody's laughing. (laughs) Likewise, though, when circumstances are good, when we're riding high, we see no need for Jesus. It's when the waters roar, and they will, friend. Trust me, they will. It's when the waters roar, and when you go under, that's when you need a spiritual river to slake your thirst and provide you supernatural strength and surge. We have that river. His name is God. Well, the rest of Psalm 46 describes God's outward deliverance of Jerusalem. At the end of verse 5, the psalmist writes, God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Like the Indians in the old westerns, ancient armies never attacked at night. It was always at first light, at the break of dawn. But God was ready. The nations raged, but God uttered his voice. The earth melted. Before the Assyrian troops could launch their attack, it was at daybreak that the angel of the Lord took the offensive. It's another example of God appearing in the nick of time. If you're like me, that's happened often in your life. God stretches our faith, he makes us wait, he teaches us patience and endurance, and then when we think the door is closed, that it's too late, he comes to our rescue in the nick of time, at the break of dawn. Well, the psalmist invites us in verse 8, Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. 
And then verse 10 is vitally important. Matter of fact, if you mark in your Bibles, here's a good verse to underline. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. When the Assyrians attacked Jerusalem, there was never a question in heaven as to what God would do. God is God. He loves and protects His people. What made it an issue in the mind of King Hezekiah and the Jews in Jerusalem was fear. This is why God tells them, be still and know that I am God. You see, fear grows in the noise of conflicting voices. Listen to the noises of this world and you're destined for confusion and fear. Skeptical friends, a sensationalistic media, a doubting society gives sanction to our fears. In the noise, fear takes root. It's only when we come to the quiet and we let God speak to us that faith grows. One author writes, The more we train ourselves to spend time with God and alone, the more we discover that God is with us at all times and in all places. The Greek philosopher Sophocles once said, To him who is in fear, everything rustles. In other words, our sense of God's presence gets lost. Faith gets quenched. Fear fills our hearts. Doubts prevail when we get caught up in this life's confusion and chaos. God is always in control in the good times and in the bad times. But the noises of this world drown out that realization. We're reminded only when we're still. Here's the irony. As I mentioned earlier, fear becomes a threat when my life spins out of control. Fears try to climb on board when the waters roar and I can no longer navigate. In a storm or in a flood, I'm prone to fear because I lose control. But verse 10 implies that faith also grows when I lose control. Understand, losing control is inevitable for all of us. The reality of life is that none of us are in control. At some point, we all face forces greater than ourselves. See, here's the difference between faith and fear. Fear grows when control slips from hands that desperately want to maintain it. Whereas faith grows when control is voluntarily given over to God. Both fear and faith are nurtured by how we respond to out-of-control situations. When life goes haywire, faith knows that God is still in charge. That He is a ruler over every situation. Verse 6 reads, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. <coughs> you know, engineers that design the long, tall suspension bridges, they realize that these bridges conjure up fear in drivers who cross them. This is why some state DOTs offer a driving service to get bridge-phobic drivers safely to the other side. For example, the Chesapeake Bay Bridge in Maryland, it's four miles long and it stands 200 feet above the surface of the water. And every year, state workers take the wheel of a thousand cars to drive scared motorists across the span of the bay to the other end of the bridge. And this is the key to getting over our fears. Voluntarily taking our hands off the steering wheel of our life and letting Jesus drive. Faith relaxes. It chills out. 
It stops fretting and plotting and conniving and manipulating. You see, Carrie Underwood is right. We should let Jesus take the wheel. Just be still and know that God is God. Before Moses parted the Red Sea, he told the Hebrews, Stand still. Before Ruth was adopted into God's family, Boaz told her, Sit still, my daughter. Before God defeated the nations that had risen against King Jehoshaphat, he told the people of Judah, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I hope we get it. Before God acts, often before God does the first thing, he first asks his people to be still before him. Well, Psalm 46 closes with verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. You know, we read earlier the name given to Jesus at his birth. It was Emmanuel. It's translated God with us. And here in verse 11, the psalmist reaches the end of his praise and he shouts out his exclamation, The Lord of hosts is with us. Or in essence, Emmanuel. See, he's looked over the walls of Jerusalem and he's seen the defeated Assyrian troops. Their corpses are scattered across the valley and he credits this Emmanuel. I believe long before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he had already been to battle. The pre-incarnate Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came as the messenger of the Lord, the angel who delivered Jerusalem. And if the Assyrian army was no match for our Lord Jesus, then neither are the troubles that plague you and I. Selah, pause and think this over. Is God your refuge? Have you turned the control of your life over to Jesus? Do you believe he's the ruler over every situation? And if you're a child of God in a tight spot, if troubled waters are roaring over your life, then recall that God is with you even in the midst of your struggle. We all need to look inward, drink deeply. Never forget, a river of living water flows beneath the surface of our lives. When the waters roar, be still and know that God is a refuge, He is a river, and God is the ruler. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. And in these times of uncertainty, Lord, how important it is for us to look to you and to see you, Lord, as the psalmist saw you, as a refuge and as a river and as the ruler over every situation. How we love you, Lord. And it's when we get still, it's when we stop listening to the voices around us and we tune in to your word, and to your voice, Lord, our faith grows. Lord, may our faith grow this morning. Strengthen our faith, Lord. Help us to be a beacon of faith to the people around us, Lord. In in the midst of their fears, Lord, may we point them to you, our refuge, our river, our ruler. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this psalm and for this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.